Hello, and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. I'm your host, Katie Helper, interestingly enough. And you can hear the Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI, that's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org online. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And if you go to iTunes, you know what you should do. Might as well rate and review. Hi, Reggie. Hey, Katie. How are you? Um... Good. It's a Wednesday. It's hot. It's a Wednesday. It's really muggy out. I'm back in the studio. I haven't been here in a little bit. So, of course, excited to see Reggie on the uh, engineering keyboard. And that's uh, what you call it. I do. It's my. I have a special, uh, affectionate nickname for it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna roll out a a new feature. Let's say I'm gonna have a theme of the show. The theme for this week's show is ready. Sex, work, and the city. Wait, is it Sex in the City or Sex in the City, the show? I should have figured that out before I decided to announce this new theme of the show. Why do I keep doing this to myself? I must be a masochist or something. Sex in the City. In the City, okay. Yes, all right, calm down. Okay, so it's Sex Work in the City. You're welcome, everyone. Okay, and you're, you're going to see why it's called that. But basically, today's show, you may have um, heard on our last couple of shows on the Katie Halper Show, we st- focused a lot on Julia Salazar's race. She was running for um, state senate in um, New York's 18th district, which is North Brooklyn. And that was a really significant race for lots of reasons. Um, she was a young Latina woman running against an eight-term incumbent who was really close to the real estate industry. In fact, he was the second, um, he got more donations than any other Democratic state senator uh, in New York, except for Jeff Klein, who was barely a a Democrat because he was head of the IDC, which is this basically this Republican group of state senators. Anyway, the point is, we were following it for a while. She's also been a friend of the Katie Helper Show for a while. And amazingly enough, Julia Salazar, this 27-year-old first-time candidate, beat this guy who's been... um, an assemblyman and then a city and then a state, uh, sorry, a, a city councilman and then a state senator, Martin Delon, big friend of real estate. She beat him. And that was exciting. And that was historic. And that was last week. That was last Thursday. And it was a historic election because that happened. Another thing that happened that was really great was that um, a lot of other young progressives defeated uh, IDC members. So there was a really great, great night for everyone who wants to uh, defeat Republicans uh, and and Democrats who who are basically Republicans in Democrats clothing. A really interesting thing about Julia's campaign is that she's one of the first uh, or maybe only statewide campaigns to include sex work, the decriminalization of sex work, incorporate that into her platform. So we wanted to kind of explore that, why that was, the significance of that, how that happened. So we have live in the studio, she's going to talk to us very soon, we have Lola Balcon, who is a community organizer, for the rights and safety of people in the sex trade. And we're also going to be talking to a sex worker named Eve, who also organized with uh, Julia Salazar's campaign. So before we get into our discussion with Lola and with Eve, we're going to call and have a little bit of a chat with Julia Salazar, State Senator Julia Salazar. And uh, as we get her ready on the line, I just want to thank Lola for coming in. Is this your first time on WBAI? This is my first time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Well, where were you, by the way, when Julia Salazar uh, won her election and became the first uh, major, what, major uh, state senator to run with 
decriminalizing sex work as part of her platform. It really um, rolls off the tongue. I was on Cuomo Subway, delayed Me again, <laughs> on the way to her victory party. Oh, nice. So you actually went to her victory party. I did. Great. Yeah, I was covering um, the other victory party, would-be victory party, for Cynthia Nixon and Jemani Williams and Zephyr Teachout. They lost. Lola, can you give your, like, your uh, reflections from the Julia party? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the party was incredible. Oh, my goodness. This is a victory for all of you who every day knocked on doors and had meaningful conversations with our neighbors about these issues, about this race, about this movement. This is a victory for all of us who believe that a better world is possible, that we, that we are going to build a New York that works for the many and not just for the few. Um, you know, people were talking about socialism. I want to thank the Democratic Socialists of America. People were talking about the principled stances that Julia took, whether or not, you know, it was politically advantageous for her to take those stances. Um, the atmosphere was really electric. I know people who, you know, had not slept in three or four days canvassing for her campaign and to see her pull through despite the really vicious attacks was incredible. It shows that young people can mobilize and win no matter what, you know, the media elite tries to say right. about a candidate. That's another really important point. I mean, there's what's so cool about this election is just a state Senate race, but it's really significant. So again, Julie is young. She was a DSA uh, candidate. She ran as, as DSA. Um, she it's Democratic Socialists of America, right? And as you pointed out, and as we covered a lot on the show, and I wrote a little profile of, of her for Teen Vogue, which shows you how the times have changed. Um, she was smeared again and again, and people were not focused on the issues, right? And that's why, actually, one of the reasons I really wanted to cover her race was because there was so little media focusing on the issues after certain think pieces or, mm -hmm. or exposés had come out. Mm -hmm. People wouldn't even talk about the issues at all. Mm -hmm. And it was such a great and scary example of how the media can make the conversation be about things that have nothing to do with the lives of constituents and voters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the fact that, that she won despite all of that was, like, really incredible. So um, I think, actually, we have Julia on the line because Julia, being the organizer that she is, uh, is not someone who just wins an election and then doesn't show up anymore. That would be bad. Uh, so this is the, her first test, the first test of her as an elected official. Julia, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's Hi. it going? How are you? State Senator Salazar, welcome. <laughs> Soon to be. Soon to be. You're yeah. state senator-elect, right? <laughs> I it's pretty much. Um, there, there's. Um, I'm uncontested in the November election. Okay. So great. You can say it's safe to say so. Yeah. Safe to say. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I could file my paperwork today, right? I could <laughs> enter the race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's too late, unfortunately. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll yeah. see about that. Dun dun dun. <laughs> So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Just give us a little bit of your reflection on your victory. Also, uh, why and how you think your fellow progressive uh, state senators were able to win the wins that they won. 
why the ones who couldn't weren't able to, and also any thoughts you have on the significance of the results vis-a-vis Cynthia Nixon running against Cuomo for governor, Jamani Williams running against Kathy Hochul for lieutenant governor, and uh, Zephyr Teachout running against um, Tish James as uh, attorney general. There's a lot of questions there, so please feel free to break them them down. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll try to to break them down. Um, I'll start with my own race. Um, uh, I think that this victory is really, it truly is the result of uh, organizing that that was not seen this year because it it preceded us. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for for decades, Senator DeLon was um, the state senator for 16 years. But before that, he was in the city council. Um, He has been a part of um, the the remnants of the Vito Lopez political machine um, in, in Brooklyn. And um, a lot of people have been, you know, fighting back against the, the dominance of that machine for a long time and also have been um, really uh, publicly pressuring Senator DeLon uh, to change course and to um, take more progressive stances um, and decisive stances on, on issues in the state Senate, especially around housing. Um, so I think that... Uh, in, in addition to all of the, the just the mass mobilization that we did um, in in this campaign in my campaign, um, uh, it was really we we were prepared for this by um, the work that that so many advocates and members of the community have done for a long time. Um, but in this in this race, you know, at, at the very beginning, um, the when when I was asked and, and urged to run. Um, I I knew that I could do it and um, that it would be a winnable race because of the the team um, largely from Democratic Socialists of America um, who would be behind me. And sure enough, um, uh, you know, we had a we we have a pretty the, the DSA has a pretty significant membership in North Brooklyn um, and all the, the neighborhoods in our district um, and. Uh, that that membership, in addition to the citywide membership, in addition to um, t- tons of, of volunteers from organizations like Make the Road, um, like New York Communities for Change, <clears throat> um, other community organizations in the district all turned out. We mobilized thousands, um, well, about 1,800, I think, total uh, volunteers in our field operation, which for a state senate race is, is massive. Um, and uh, we you know, just had a, a really relentless, um, robust field operation that uh, engaged voters every day for months, um, knocking on doors, uh, you know, phone banking, any way that we could engage with voters and have meaningful conversations about the race. Uh, I think that we may even have, you know, I wouldn't say over overcompensated but we anticipated that that uh, the fact that the primary election was on a Thursday instead of a Tuesday mm-hmm. would negatively affect turnout. And so I think we worked extra hard to make sure everybody knew when the election was um, and and to present a clear choice. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I think that uh, it's it certainly paid off. We saw absolutely unprecedented turnout in this primary, a total of, in my district alone, the 18th, a total of over 38,000 voters turned out. Um, uh, between Senator DeLon and I, I got almost 59% of the vote, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, to, to 
it's a pretty big mandate, um, and I'm really honored. I'm really honored to have um, received that percentage of the vote. But just for comparison, um, that compared to any of the other state senate districts, um, uh, we saw turnout increase more in this district than anywhere else. And I, um, wow. I definitely think, yeah, I definitely think that that is that speaks to the strength of um, the field operation that was that was largely run by um, by DSA. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, just for comparison, it was an over two hundred and fifty percent increase from um, wow. twenty fourteen. Wow. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty big. Um, I'm. And one of the things that I thought um, in terms of the the higher up, you know, the the, the tickets of uh, for attorney general and um, governor, lieutenant governor, I don't think anyone doubted that Cuomo was going to win, obviously. Um, what I thought Zephyr Teachout maybe would be able to win because, I mean, she's obviously ridiculously overqualified. The only question was mm-hmm. whether she'd be able to get, a, get like, get over the um, – political machine and all the fundraising that her opponents were, were doing. Also the vote was divided um, because Mm -hmm. of uh, she wasn't running against just one person, but two people. Um, And I didn't, I thought maybe Jamani Williams could win as um, uh, Lieutenant governor. But what was really sad is when I got to the victory would be victory party for Nixon uh, Williams and teach out, he was winning Williams. So that was heartbreaking. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that Zephyr Teachout, who ran for um, attorney general, who would have been pro- she's probably the mo- most powerful single person who could have taken out Trump. Honestly, I really think that as, sh- as she said in an interview that she did with me that, you know, the attorney general's position is one of the most powerful pos- in New York is one of the most powerful offices in the country because of how much Trump's illegality took place in New York City and finance stuff. Anyway, um, she made this really important point. As- <laughs> about how people are going to talk about the messages. When people talk about the different messages of the campaign, they should also mention that Andrew Cuomo spent $25 million. Yes! And Zephyr said something like, you can't talk about politics without talking about money. And that was very moving. Um, and I do think that's something we have to remember is how much money plays, how much of a role money plays in this, which I know I'm stating the obvious, but I think sometimes we lose sight of exactly how much it does. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that um, that message was conveyed in every in every race um, and that, uh, you know, there were times when I was when I was um, disappointed by, you know, like what the what the press chose to focus on yeah. in these races, of course, but um, I did I did see, I mean, in my perspective, um, more reporting than usual when it when it came to, um, I think ultimately in in my own race um, that um, reporters were exposing at the end. Uh, you know, tens of thousands of actually hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in in donations to Senator Delon from from the real estate lobby, um, and and that this is focused on in other races as well. Um, and exactly as as Zephyr mentioned, as you mentioned, um, that that Governor Cuomo uh, spent tens of millions of dollars in order to defeat Cynthia Nixon. Um, I think I think she's spot on yeah. about that. Um, 
I think that one, yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, I cross endorsed with um, Cynthia Nixon, Giovanni Williams and Zephyr Teachout um, and was really supportive of, um, of all three of their campaigns um, and our canvassers were also canvassing for them um, locally. Um, I think an observation, you know, just in hindsight that I would, that I would make about com- comparing um, uh, their, their ultimately their losses to, uh, you know, six of the um, anti-IDC um, candidates winning their elections, uh, which is also really exciting. Yeah. Um, we saw, I, I think, I mean, I, I think that I, I did notice um, that it took a little bit longer for um, the three statewide mo- most progressive candidates to publicly demonstrate their support for each other and for mm. their campaigns to coordinate, um, you know, whereas, whereas the IDC candidates were really um, had formed a, essentially a coalition um, uh, through the no IDC coalition uh, a long time ago. And so I think that they were more coordinated and were able to um, not run as a slate because, um, you know, that, of course, that isn't how it works with, with state senate elections, but that they were um, able to effectively present um, this this narrative of like if you live in a in a state senate district with um, a, a challenger who's facing a former member of the IDC, then you vote for them, right? right. Whereas um, I think that to voters, there probably was not as clear of an alliance mm. um, with with Cynthia Nixon, and Giovanni Williams, and, and Zephyr Teachout until it was like a little bit a little bit late in the game. Um, even even you know, uh, with Cynthia and Giovanni, uh, were not as clearly aligned um, until later. Hmm. I think it was it wasn't until maybe July or even early August that they endorsed each other um, uh-huh. as opposed to as opposed to Governor Cuomo and Kathy Hochul always right um, running as a you know, of course being as yeah right. exactly yeah. Um, yeah so solidarity forever guys solidarity earlier rather than later I guess is one of the yeah. takeaways and um, can you tell us really quickly um, why and how sex workers um, became an important uh, issue for your campaign yeah, absolutely. Um, I should say this, yeah. the sexual sex work decriminalization and sex workers as a con- as a constituent as a group of people. Why those became right. significant for you? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think for me, um, it's it's a given that we should fight for ultimately for the decriminalization of sex work, but also that we we should just um, be fighting for the the rights of sex workers as as workers um, as people who are. Um, particularly um, marginalized and, and disproportionately affected by um, by uh, biased criminal justice, a biased criminal justice system, basically. So I see it as a, a criminal justice issue and a labor issue. Um, it was sort of, it was relatively late in my campaign, I guess in, in July, that um, a sex worker advocate approached me um, in my campaign and wanted to talk to me about speaking out about the issue. Um, and I was, I was really excited about that. Um, and I met, I met with her and with other sex worker advocates and um, folks from uh, the sex workers project. Um, and in, in, in order to 
um, I think more clearly and publicly articulate my stance on, um, on issues that affect sex workers, such as you know, ending massage parlor raids, um, fighting to repeal a, um, a law that criminalize that actually, um, it's, it's called, you know, uh, um, what's the word L- loitering, um, with the purpose of prostitution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is basically the the statute that criminalizes um, uh, you know ninety four percent of the people who are charged with this in New York are black women. Um, it which I mean ninety four percent that's just massive right. um, and uh, and and outrageous. Um, and we also know that the majority of arrests for this charge are actually made in my district um, oh. in specifically in Bushwick and East New York. So it was an issue that, uh, dispro- you know, I see it as disproportionately affecting my district disproportionately affects women of color. Um, and uh, one that I, I think we, I hope that we will see more legislators um, coming around on this issue and recognizing that, um, that sex workers shouldn't be, uh, treated any any differently than other workers, and that if and yeah. and additionally that if we want to stop trafficking, um, put it put it into sex trafficking, then we need to um, be be addressing it based on the experiences of um, sex workers. Great. Well, thank you so much, Julia. Um, soon to be state senator Julia Salazar, and thanks so much for talking to us. And we will talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. That was Julia Salazar, who won her primary um, and will be soon becoming um, the state senator from New York's uh, 18th district. And she was one of the first people to run openly run um, as someone who was calling for the decriminalization of sex work. And she put that in her platform. She incorporated that into her platform. Right now in studio, we have a guest, Lola Balcon. And she was one of the um, organizers who worked around this issue with Julia Salazar. So uh, thank you so much and welcome so much, Lola. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And she also worked um, with the campaigns of Julia Salazar, who we were just talking about, and Siraj Patel. And we have also called in, we have on the phone, an organizer and sex worker, Eve. Are you here, Eve? Hi. Hi, thanks so much for calling in. So I wanted to ask you guys to talk about your experiences as organizers and what you think the significance of Salazar's victory is. Also, what do you kind of want people to know about the world of sex work, which is obviously a world that doesn't get a lot of attention and there are lots of myths that um, exist around it? Sure. Um, So, you know, I've been a community organizer for sex workers' rights for four years. And even in that time, I've seen the issue transformed in American political discourse. Um... I think Salazar's campaign was revolutionary because she is the first very vocal advocate for sex workers' rights to win an election, right? So it wasn't just in her platform, you know, the decrim of sex work was also in Alessandra Biagi's platform, for example. Um, Julia was tweeting about it constantly. She had two events around sex work. There was a, like a rally party. There was also an issue-based canvas, which means, you know, around 40 sex workers and allies got together and went into voters' homes and talked to them about sex work, um, which can be an intensely intimate conversation. But, you know, Eve did that canvas as well, and she can tell you people were, people were hip to it. 
Um, in a, in a progressive district like the one that Julia was running in, you know, people see it as a signal that if you're willing to touch this issue, you've done your research and you're willing to take a principled stance. So, so that's why Julia's, Julia's position is so important. It's that like, when you look at, you know, when the stories around her being in favor of decriminalization broke and all the coverage around that, the stories that came after also mentioned that. So it's not like voters in her district who voted for her didn't know. They knew and they still voted for her. And that's why it's incredible. It shows that people who are on the left, people who are progressive, people who claim to care about trans rights, labor rights, the rights of immigrants, um, they're ready to talk about this issue with nuance um, and compassion. And it doesn't scare off older people. I think that's one of the fears is that older religious people will get. I mean, I, I'm sure that we don't have the data for that, but I, I guess the, I think people assume that, and I think this probably disproves that, right? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think so at all. I mean, during our canvas, we, uh, you know, we knocked 600 doors, and we talked to a lot of older folks who you just frame it like, "Hey, listen, uh, everybody works to survive." So do you like your job? You know, maybe not, maybe you do, but you got to do what you got to do to pay the bills. You know, people also sell sex and trade sex to do the same. And uh, this job has existed forever. They can be safe or not. Which one do you want? Yeah. You frame it like that. It's very simple. Right. Like, I'd love to sit here all day and talk about your feelings about sex work. But how about we just get down to uh, whether or not you want people to be safer or less safe? To me, that's like always been one of the, like, no, no brainer issues about it. Right. I mean, the people have various things. There's a harm reduction perspective. There's like, um, that to me is, is often the most like important thing for all work. Like it seems like a bit of a self-indulgent almost conversation. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to, to, for people to have, give feedback on whether or not something is exploitative. It's more important to actually fight exploitation, you know, mm-hmm. than like, first, Eve, what was your experience like? What did you encounter as someone who was working uh, on Julia's campaign? Um, I think just being confronted with an actual sex worker, I kind of said, um, just straight up front, you know, I, um, I support her because she supports universal rent control. She supports the New York Health Act. Um, and would kind of lead up and I'd say, but I'm here today also because, um, I'm an escort and she's the first person or first politician who's called for a decriminalization of sex work. Um, and I think that just in my pitch, aligning it with all of these traditional progressive values and then... Um, just having a person right there in front of them, nobody batted an eye. Really? It was um, actually really surprising because uh, we had Lola did a really wonderful job of preparing us and sending us out with buddies um, in case anything was confrontational. But um, I think people are starting to get it mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, at least, you. I mean, you mentioned that there were young voters. Um, I mean, we were canvassing in Bushwick, but when right. I was phone banking, I got a dad on the phone uh, and we were talking for a really long time, and then I ended up mentioning that because I just, like, kind of felt out the conversation. He was totally down with it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was fascinating. Cool. So dad vote. Dad votes. Uh, yeah, it's to, all about the dad vote. <laughs> yeah, it's a sex dad, work decrim. Yeah. That's, a, that's great. <laughs> and what is someone, I mean, there's so there's so few people who, re, like, are willing to, you know, speak out about being sex workers for obvious reasons. But what are some of the things that you um, want people to know that you feel like people don't know or don't get about the reality of being a sex worker? Um, I think maybe this isn't like the most politically important thing, but just in my life, um, 
just that more people that you know do it. It's such a broad um, field of work. You know, it could be like erotic modeling or Mm -hmm. it could be, um, you know, like nude modeling for an art class to just full on escorting like um, I have done. So, um, yeah, there's a whole conversation I have about like who can be open about it um, and who can talk about it. And I am privileged enough to feel safe coming on a radio show or talking to people um, and outing myself like that. But um, when people really get to talking about it, um, yeah, I think just the fact that it is so kind of like embedded in our society no already um, and the, the classifications <laughs> of, um, uh, I, I guess, just like legalization or um, decriminalization and the laws around it uh, don't reflect that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Eve brings up a really good point, which is the stigma around sex work makes it incredibly difficult to out yourself. I guarantee you every single one of your listeners knows a sex worker. They just don't know that they know a sex worker, right? Right. Sex work is stripping, sex work is camming, sex work is escorting, whatever. There's so many different things that people have done, you know, at different points in their life to survive or to just make it by. Um, And so that becomes one of our biggest challenges as advocates as we try to have these meetings with, you know, whether it's people of a public platform or elected officials or people running for office. And they say, well, like, you know, this is all fine and good, but this doesn't really like impact my constituency. And that's just not true. Many people have traded sex. Um, They just can't talk about it. And on top of that, you know, especially if you're a politician on the relative left and you talk about things like immigration, you talk about things like racial justice, um, sex work is disproportionately performed by those communities. And on top of that, any policing or criminalization that harms sex workers disproportionately affects those people, right? So like, a lot of a lot of politicians will claim to support trans rights, you know, and they'll like, you know, parade a trans advocate around in their campaign and be like, you know, this is so exciting, like right. whatever. But like surveys show 50 percent of black trans women self-report having traded sex. Wow. So if you have a black trans woman, you know, like that you're in trying to use in your campaign or whatever, you should probably be talking about sex work. Right, um, instead of just trying to, like, get votes by pandering. Like, you should actually exactly. care about the realities but that these people live, not just famous ones who are good for your campaign's optics. Right, right. And there are, of course, you know, uh, famous black trans women who have talked openly about their right. sex working experiences. I'm thinking of Janet Mock um, as an example and so, yeah, I, I think it, it fits really, really well into the platforms of people who um, are fighting for the rights of the most marginalized. And it's just a matter of us really getting the word out there that this is an issue that impacts the communities that you already talked to. And what is the difference between um, trafficking and sex work? I mean, we have you have. Can you guys talk a little bit about uh, SESTA and FOSTA that claim to help protect sex workers, but actually are endangering them. Can you talk about that? Sure. Let's break down sex work versus sex trafficking first. So I guess the first thing to note is trafficking exists in any industry. Um, 90% of trafficking is labor trafficking, which people do not talk about because sex trafficking is very sexy, apparently. Um, And so, you know, most trafficking occurs in uh, farming, construction, and domestic work. But what does it actually literally mean, trafficking? Trafficking means transport, harbor, or facilitation of of people working via force, fraud, or coercion. And so that is the tripartite standard set up by the UN. Um, And also, you know, previously, as defined in the law, um, although increasingly the United States is like mucking it up, specifically around sex work and sex trafficking. And I think 
you know, people like have these claims that like all sex work is trafficking, right. which I mean, it's, it's just incredibly offensive to people who do their work by choice and also really mm-hmm. offensive to people who are actually sex trafficked. Right. To right. compare that to to the more nuanced reality of having choice. I mean, then you'll have people push back and say, well, what kind of choice do you have when you live in a patriarchal society? It's like, yeah, we get it. We understand that. Like, we're not idiots. Right, right. So, like, fight, gonna, yeah. fight patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. Don't fight sex work. Yeah. Um, deal with the underlying reasons that people are trading sex. Right. Not criminalizing, like, their best option. Yeah. And pushing them that much further underground. I don't understand how people can make the argument that they make that they think that they're making people's lives better and safer by making it more dangerous for them to do the job that they're doing. Um, I, I think people think that by criminalizing it, uh, they will uh, make people do it less. But that's right. not true because people trade yeah. sex for economic reasons. Right. So when you criminalize it, you simply push it underground. Right. And then you give people like prostitution records that make it harder to find another job. Um, right. So, that's the irony, right? The great fantasy of, of helping people get out of this of this cycle, right? Right. It, the more like the more um, penalized and the more criminalized the work is, the more they are stuck there. Like yeah. the fewer options they have. Right, exactly. And so SESTA-FOSTA, you know, really arose out of more or less a 40-year-long cultural war um, fought by an unholy union of the Christian religious right and second wave um, white feminists uh, who first lost the porn wars in the 80s, right? They lost the Playboy, they lost the penthouse lawsuits. Um, and then they literally had a conference called Trafficking in Women, I think in 82 or 83, where they decided that they would deliberately paint all sex work as trafficking and then abolish the sex trade that way. And so fast forward today, April 11th, Trump sends into law um, SESTA-FOSTA, which is, uh, so, so what... There's, there's a little bit of like misunderstanding around this, but what actually happened is SESTA was passed and that was signed into law. Um, people just call it SESTA-FOSTA because there were like different versions of the bill sitting okay, around for like okay. eight years, whatever, not important. And so this piece of legislation has two provisions. The first one is that it makes it a federal crime punishable by up to 25 years um, in prison to facilitate prostitution online. So that's the first thing. The law is supposed to fight trafficking, yet it explicitly targets prostitution. Right. Um, so you see the immediate conflation there. Um, and that also makes it so that organizers like myself uh, could face federal prison for up to 25 years for doing things like distributing bad date lists, lists of people who have been you know, known to assault sex workers, right? Because right? so, that's facilitating right. prostitution. Right. So just so people understand that this is an important point, it's basically saying that when people who are organizers do things to to try to empower or keep sex workers safe, like handing out this list you just said, like bad mm-hmm. date lists, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's considered like uh, helping, facilitating sex exactly. work. So you're no longer allowed to do these things that people rely on to stay safe. Yep. I had this conversation literally today. Someone called me and was like, hey, I want to like set up this bad date list in New York. Like there have been several people that NYPD has identified as knowingly targeting trans sex workers. And I'm like, well... Do you want to go to prison? And, right. you know, like, you know, some of us are willing to take that risk, um, but it's it, we, sh- we shouldn't have to. Um, and then there's a second provision of the law, which is probably the more important provision, which um, introduces civil liability for any site for third party content that um, was related to trafficking. And so, right, like trafficking is still illegal. It's still obviously criminalized as it should be. Um, but what's different about this law is that if 
like someone makes a post that was later found to have been related to trafficking on Facebook, then Facebook is responsible for that. Um, So what practically happens is that, you know, all the sites get scared. They don't want to be sued by 50 AGs. And so they just shut down. And that's what happened. Dozens of sites shut down within the first couple of days. um, And a bunch of sites changed their terms of condition so that sex workers were basically kicked off. Um, And so what's that resulted in is, you know, people in the community no longer having access to income, being evicted from their homes. Dozens of sex workers have gone missing because they no longer are able to work online. So they, you know, they go back outdoors to the streets and then a couple of sex workers have died. Wow. But I do know people whose friends have died. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Eve, have you noted any change in the way you are, you function because of SESTA and FOSTA or do any of the people you know who do sex work, have they experienced that? Yeah, sure. Um, I like just want to say first that the way that it changed for me um, is not really similar to uh, like the the things that Lola was just talking about. I've been really privileged in this, right. um, but I, but it still has. <laughs> like the preface is to say that it's so bad that um, even somebody like me who had a full time job and was doing this um, as like an extra way to pay for school in a really safe way, it still fucked me. Um, it. Basically, um, the site that I was using was also um, like undergoing massive changes, um, and so I didn't work for a little bit. Um, I ended up working for an agency because I felt safer that way. They had their own lawyer, um, like all these perks, but they took a 50% cut, and I was making like maybe uh, a quarter of what I was making before. Um And I still have a roof over my head and a day job, basically. Um, But my friends who are full-time escorts, um, it's like just going back to the kind of like information sharing that happens among sex workers, it's not always just um, sex workers asking organizers for help. It's sex workers helping themselves and keeping information um, amongst themselves. So there will be these... Um, and when I first started, there were Tumblr pages of just tips for anybody who was a sex worker who wanted to start sugaring, basically, um, and safety tips for that. I learned how to get a fake number, basically, from like these just these like tiny little pages um, that were uh, produced by sex workers. Um, the way that the internet it was like so integral to how the internet was created um, in the U.S., which is a really shameful part of SESTA FOSTA, is that um, it's no longer. Uh, content producers, um, basically, that the that websites will be responsible for the content that the people who are using the websites um, are putting up. So sex workers posting safe lists for each other or tips on how to stay safe, um, those are all taken down. So it just takes a lot of, um, it steals people's autonomy and uh, community spaces because also a lot of us do we make friends digitally. Um, I met my roommate basically through the internet mm-hmm. um, at sex working. Wow. Yeah. I think all the people who um, like Fausta and Sesta should then donate or like organize some kind of like security service, yeah. like, like bodyguard service. Since now it's so much harder to like use these lists or, or use the internet to keep people safe from predators. Right. Since, you know, the goal is of course taking, keeping people safe and they should be really all about that. Uh-huh. And also just beginners, too, because um, it's decimated uh, communities that were established a little bit. Like, there were escorts who were very su- successful and had reviews, um, and their review got taken down. But um, 
if we still have the kind of like mounting student debt that we have, we're going to have prostitution in this country. Um, and people are going to start off doing it um, in an unsafe way or not know how to get a fake number, not know what a blacklist is. Right. Right. So the whole new generation of unsafe sex workers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Gloria. Steinem. Just kidding. I love a lot of your work. I'm not going to lie. Um, so what, what needs to be done? What are the major things people are working on now? Like you guys had an anti SESTA FOSTA campaign that's no, that was sunsetted. Survivors against SESTA. Yeah. 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 So what, what, what was that doing and what is there, what is to be done now? Um, I mean, people who care about this issue. So I, I think the ask for allies um, and for people who are less familiar with the issue is just to get yourself educated, like literally read any article on sex workers' rights and you will find so much. I mean, the degree to which sex workers in this country are criminalized in every aspect of their life, right? So like sex workers are kicked off their banking platforms, like sex workers mm-hmm. are constantly like shadow banned on Twitter, like, you know, their free speech is construed as like prostitution. And so they like cannot like speak politically. I remember when I was organizing um, for Siraj Patel's campaign around anti-SESTA FOSTA work. And literally within an hour of using the hashtag sex workers vote, just political content, like just graphics about, you know, what SESTA FOSTA is, um, that hashtag was banned on Instagram. And so I think like once people begin to understand... um, the tremendous like criminalization and persecution that people who trade sex or are just trying to survive in this country face, then um, we'll start to get a little bit more momentum on this issue. We sunset survivors against SESTA because the organizing that is important and relevant right now is local. You know, most legislation that impacts sex workers is uh, done at the city and state level and it's legislative or it's like, you know, DA discretion. Um, and so there are a couple things that we are looking at for the next state legislative session that includes um, repealing the loitering for purposes of prostitution statute that Julia talked about earlier. That includes um, stopping the massage parlor raids that um, predominantly target immigrant communities. So 91% of arrests from those massage parlor raids are of immigrants. And then ICE literally waits outside the courts from those arrests just to ship people away. Um, it's things like repealing the uh, rape shield exemption of sex workers in New York State. I think we'll be very proud to know that New York is the only state um, in the entire country that has an exemption um for uh, sex workers. And so that means, so what rape shield laws ordinarily do is like protect a rape victim's identity or, you know, prevent the admission of like the rape victim's sexual history as evidence against the victim. But if you have a prostitution record within the last three years, then that is admissible evidence. So New York state legislature is basically saying, hey, if you've ever done sex work, like you deserve to be raped. Um, So it's things like that, that we're looking at. Um, and just trying to get some local organizing momentum around and, you know, trying to work with more candidates and elected officials like Julia. Great. And um, what can someone like people who want to both learn more about how to be sex worker allies, what can they do? Also, what, what about people who are listening now who may be doing sex work where and may not have a lot of resources or know about them? What do you recommend that they do? I think people should check out survivorsagainstesta.org. We did Sunset, but there's a lot of good information on that site. Um, I think if you are thinking about joining uh, DSA and, you know, your politics are relatively in line, DSA in the last year has been uh, pretty good about including sex work politics. I know Eve can talk more about that. I don't know, Eve, if you have thought of anything else. Sure. Um, 
I mean, I can talk about DSA. Um, yeah. Just the um, education part, like when we talk about what you can do to get involved, um, I think this is one of the issues in which that's actually really important, especially for the left. Um, we had little resistance to passing just like a very basic resolution in our chapter um, about condemning SESTA-FOSTA, and there was a small percentage um, of man <laughs> um, was against it because of uh, wanting to basically just like falling victim to the propaganda that it's child trafficking that we're right. protecting or protecting victims. Um, so just read playing the horror by Melissa Garrett Grant um, and be respectful in your questions to your sex worker friends. <laughs> yeah, that is a great ask. Read playing the horror by. Oh yeah, <laughs> we've had Garrett her on Grant. before actually. Yeah, yeah, you can go back to the Katie Halper show yeah, archives and find her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Um, and I think if anyone can take anything away from this show, it's just that like people trade sex on the full spectrum of choice, circumstance, coercion, like, you know, one does with any other job, um, unless you address the reasons that people are in vulnerable situations in the first place. And with sex work, that's usually uh, poverty, gender inequity, LGBTQ discrimination, you know, lack of access to affordable housing, employment opportunities, criminal record, et cetera. Unless you address those issues, you're not going to get people out of sex work. So you can either make it more or less safe. But, um, you know, there are organizations and people doing awesome anti-trafficking activities, um, whether that's like Womankind or Safe Horizon or whatever in New York. Um, and people should also go and, you know, try to help out in those places because they 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 are on the front lines of fighting trafficking. They're on the front lines of fighting the factors that make trafficking like possible in the first place. Um, and I think trafficking is a serious issue that people should get educated on as well. Um, and ideally, like we can all fight, you know, for sex workers' rights and trafficking survivors' rights together. Great. And what about um, future campaigns? Uh, are other people now, do you think this election means that people will um, start talking about sex work and advocating for sex work decriminalization in a way that was considered taboo before? I'm calling on people running for office and current elected officials to take a principled stance on this issue. Julia Salazar showed that you can take the political risk. And in fact, it's not great political risk to make a stand. This is an issue that affects your communities. People will understand that you've done your research and you are taking a principled stance. If you're able to come out and speak out, it is the right thing to do. So you can either pander to moral presumption um, of people who don't really understand the issue, or you can fight for people who pretty much have no voice. And it's up to you. Great. All right. Anything else? You can you tell tell people where we can all find you guys, your you and your organizations, and um, online, Twitter, all that jazz, whatever you want to talk about. Um, well, Swears Against Esta is on Instagram, so people can always follow that. I think you know, continuing to support the campaigns of people who have come out um, for decriminalization, whether that's Julia Salazar or Alessandra Biaggi. I think that's a it's a good way to stay updated as well. Great, Eve. Yeah. Um, you can follow me at clit underscore chance if you want, um, on Twitter. That's chance. Um, uh, I think people understand the first, so that's C-L-I-T underscore what? Champ, C-H-A-M-P. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, and just follow NYC DSA. Um, the Lower Manhattan branch is having our meeting on September 30th, um, at the Jefferson Market Library, um, right off of West 4th, uh, on September 30th from 2 to 4 p.m., um, we'll be talking about the Newark Health Act, which is another campaign that Julia Salazar ran on. The the what act? 
The New York Health Act. Oh, New York Health Act. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And all of these things are obviously over um, interwoven. Um, yep. Well, thank you so much. Um, Lola Balcon and Eve and Julia Salazar, congrats again. And thanks so much, guys, for listening to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. You can hear the Katie Halper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org. Um, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes where you can find us. You can also find us on SoundCloud and Facebook and Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm Katie Halpers. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. See you guys next week. Bye.